Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Mike Johnson. Mike, what's going on, man? What's going on? Another year, another time to check in with uh, the expert of all things uh, hockey. So that's you. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, that's yeah, that's quite the. Uh, usually, I'm supposed to like talk up the guest and give the, the give the uh, amazing intro <laughs> to introduce him to the guest. But here you are stealing my thunder and making me sound uh, much better than I deserve to be. So I appreciate that, man. Um, I'm excited to do this. We I thought the plan for today would be you and I are gonna try to kind of rapid fire through this because I know you're a busy man and we're gonna bounce around and and discuss some either early hot starts for teams and sort of how sustainable that success is, or uh, teams that have mm-hmm. underwhelmed or disappointed so far and sort of how worried we should be so i'll give you the floor since you're the guest um is there a team so far that fits either of those buckets that you really have your eye on more so than others um as far as early season success uh i i think arizona might be able to hang around a little bit um because i feel like their defensive systems might be enough that um, they're able to withstand kind of the ebbs and flows of their offense, which is still not great, but, um, you know, they still control the shots. They, they still generate, um, you know, enough chances. They have two very good goalies. And I just think that Rick Tockett's got them kind of locked into a system that will allow them to be pretty consistent in their game. And so, you know, they'll lose some, they'll win some, but they're going to play pretty much the same way. So, I don't know if I consider them even a hot start, but I just figure that maybe this is actually the year they have, um, you know, a few games over 500 that they'll be able to to sustain this throughout the whole season. And, that, and they're doing this without Chalmerson, who I think is probably not given enough credit for being maybe the best shutdown defenseman of this generation of players or something close to it. And yet they're still locking teams down to a great extent, not just because of great goaltending, but all their expected goal numbers and all those different things are, are, are still pretty strong. So I think that feels like they could repeat that over and over. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair one. I mean, they're six three and one, so they've kind of crept up on us a little bit here. It, it, it doesn't felt like um, you know it's been such an overwhelming success that everyone's talking about them kind of like the Sabers or the Oilers per se. But they've been quietly doing this thing, mm-hmm. and I, I was really curious to see how the addition of Phil Kessel would affect their offense because clearly they identified. I mean, it didn't take any analytics or any rocket scientists to be like, okay, if Brad Richardson's our leading goal scorer and we don't have a single player over 50 points, maybe <laughs> we need to add some sort of a shot in the arm here. So they clearly identified Kessel. They went out and got him. And, you know, he necessarily hasn't uh, just individually uh, tore it up and, and been putting up crazy goal and point totals. But I think he's fit in really nicely with what they're trying to do in terms of, um how they approach the game offensively. And, you know, you look at the power play, it's a dramatic uptick from the 26th or 27th ranked unit they had last year. They're scoring more goals. They're still doing all the stuff they did well last year. And and when you come, I think the baseline for them offensively, like the bar they need to clear to get it done is so low because of how good they are defensively and how good uh, Darcy mm-hmm. Kemper and now Andy Ranta that he's back have been. Uh, if you're talking about goalies and sort of how it's voodoo and how it's unpredictable and we don't know what's going to happen, I think Darcy Kemper at like age 29 or 30 uh, becoming a star goalie is, is something I certainly didn't see coming over the past couple of years. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, you know, he came from LA and LA has made a lot of goalies look really good over the last decade. And you know, it wasn't great there, but he's gotten to Arizona and, 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 and you're right. Because I think when Arizona sat there in the summer and with their whiteboard and everyone healthy and thought, okay, how do we win games? Even with Phil Kessel, I think it kind of looked like this. Mm-hmm. where, you know, Phil would, you know, have some moments. The power play might be a bit better, but he wouldn't be overwhelmingly dominant. Certainly not five on five. He wasn't the last couple of years in Pittsburgh either, but he would add enough that it could make the difference. So um, if I'm saying Arizona is the more sustainable version, I'm happy for Buffalo fans. <laughs> I'm happy that they're doing so well. I feel that, that you know, you look at the ratings at any American game, Buffalo is always the highest rated market for a team that's not involved in the game. So they support their team. My issues with them are this. Um, they are on a PDO bender right now. Their goalies are through the roof good, 90, whatever it is, you know, 4%, 5 on 5. I mean, it's just ridiculously good. They're shooting exceptionally well as well. I, I, that's got to cool down, right? I think yep. that has to cool down. We saw it last year. Hutton Olmark will at some point not be 940 goalies. So if they end up at 920 goalies, that's great. But that means they're going to play 12 more games with their 900 goalies. Just to average themselves down back to where they probably would be happy to end up, that's going to be a tough run. Will their power play be 35%? Whatever it is throughout the whole season? I'm guessing not. It's already starting to fall below 30. So that's going to cool down as well. Um, a lot's gone well, and I'm delighted for them. And the points now count the same as they count in the future. But they are not going to be, I don't think, first place in the uh, Atlantic Division. I think they'll probably hang around the playoff chase. They won't fall off the cliff like last year, but they're not this good. They're not this good. It's just not, it's just not sustainable. The numbers probably just don't add up. That um, Everything's working. Everything's going right. Uh, and that probably won't happen for 70 more games. Yeah, but you know what? We do this every year, and it's funny because 
I was just saying about how Arizona, there's something, uh, no one's identifying them as kind of this regression candidate or, or this team that's not going to keep doing this well because they do a certain thing, number of things well, of course, but it's also like their six, three and one success feels kind of like reasonable and sustainable moving forward just because Buffalo has jumped mm-hmm. out to this nine, two and one start. Everyone's kind of identifying them as like, Oh, well, they're clearly not going to win nine out of every 12 games. And it's like, I don't, I don't think we need, I don't think we need to look at the deeper numbers and be like, okay, their power play is going to come back down or, Earth. Uh, Carter Hutton and Linus Olmark will not be the best goalies in the league to s- identify that they're not going to win three quarters of their games. But at the same time, I do think this is a bit of a different story than that 10 game winning streak last year, where it was pretty clear they were just rattling sure. off all of these one goal wins and all these overtime wins. And it, it made for like a great story and a narrative and uh, something for their fans to latch on to. They were so desperately craving. But I think everyone from the outside was viewing that as kind of like, okay, this is going to end eventually. And when it did, it was, it was pretty horrific down the stretch. But with this team, I mean, I mean, the formula is there. Like the goaltending is not going to be this good, but we saw the success Mike Bales had last year in Carolina, and I'm willing to believe that they'll be like slightly above average. The power play won't be this good, but they're kind of running this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this it feels a bit sacrilegious to compare them to Tampa Bay's power play because I certainly don't think they have the personnel to pull off what Tampa Bay does. But just this idea of having those two lethal shooters on either end and then the hammer at the top with Dalian, yeah. and it feels like they kind of put opposing penalty kills into the situation where it's like, okay, you can basically choose how we're going to beat you this time and there's no right answer. So just, you know, we're going to score somehow. It's just a matter of which way we're going to do it. And so I love watching them move the puck around and shoot from all over the ice. And and so especially with Eichel kind of continuing to take another step this season, like there are um, sort of replicable steps in their formula there that I think they can keep doing. But yeah, clearly they're not going to win nine out of every Mm -hmm. 12 games moving forward. Yeah, so maybe I'm overstating the obvious then, but I still think they're going to hang around the playoff chase. I, I did like I don't think they're going to fall off like they did last year, where it was a bit of a smoke and mirrors ten game run that they got through. Uh, and I do like just kind of on a practical sense the fact that you know Jeff Skinner and Jack Eagle don't have to play together. Mm-hmm. He can spread out, and if Skinner can still score playing with Marcus Johansson. That's pretty significant because last year it was Eichel and Skinner, and, and not much else below it. Uh, so if Skinner and Johansson can provide some sort of 50 goals between those two players or something like that on the second line, that, that would be exceptional. I, I still, I like Colin Miller. I like Yoki Haru. I love Darlene. McCabe versus the line. I, you know, they, they're, they're, they're not a perfect team and they, they will come back to the pack um, at some point in the next little while. No, they certainly are flawed. And I, they're going to get Brandon Montour here back in a bit, and I think he'll help sort of with that identity of, of what that blue line wants to accomplish. Yeah. But I think, I don't know if you feel this way, like philosophically, sometimes, you know, we can overstate a little bit, I think, that hockey is a team game because you look at what Connor McDavid and Leandre Sabo are doing in Edmonton, and we can discuss the Oilers a little bit here. But, like, it's, clearly it still is a superstar-driven sport where if you have one of the best players in the world, they're going to make you a certain level of good regardless of what's around them. But then at the same time, I think sometimes maybe we understate like how big of a difference it can make for a team like Buffalo where you just remove a couple of the black holes in your lineup or the weak links and you just like get serviceable 
league average to slightly above league average players in there and all of a sudden you don't have a line that's getting caved in and getting 42 percent of the shot share and kind of starting this snowball effect Mm -hmm. of you never having the puck uh on your stick and you're always chasing the game and you know eichel's coming out on the ice and he's defending in his own zone rather than having the puck in the offensive zone so i think stuff like that maybe we can understate it a little bit and clearly in buffalo i think they did a good job of sort of identifying that and making sure that you know they didn't get a ton of superstars this summer but they got a bunch of guys who can at least play and that's a massive difference from what they had in the past yeah you know what it, it's a really good point because they're not maybe you know marcus even marcus johansson whatever mm-hmm. he's not a world beater going to you know light the world on fire but he's a good player yeah and, and generally the positive things happen more often when him on the ice than with the guys that he's replacing and and you put three or four of those guys into a roster and, and the games just feel different and then the results are different because because of the way that, that it's tilted a little bit so um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's part of it. And, and I know we like to talk about the numbers and the likelihood and odds and all that in this. And I, and I can appreciate that, but every now and then there are teams that can overachieve and, you know, culture or whatever chemistry, um, can be confidence, you know, can be tangibly kind of things. And, mm-hmm. and so far it's easy when you're nine to one, everyone's good. And then Ralph Kruger is the best coach in the history of the game, according to risk the line in and all the rest of it. But I do think Rob Kruger has come in for a group that has seen a lot of turmoil, a lot of change and offered a different voice that seems to be resonating. And that also can matter. I remember my first year of playing for Pat Quinn in Toronto, we were the very, not a good team the year prior. We missed the playoff by a ton. We had didn't have a lot of scores, but just because of Pat Quinn systems and we had a Derek King and Steve Thomas, and we went to being the highest scores team, highest scoring team in the league. And like that kind of thing can happen with, you know, a coach empowering players to play a little bit different, a little bit of confidence. And, and it feels like Ralph Kruger's um, getting bought into across the board in, in Buffalo. Yep. No, he is for sure. There is a bit of that new coach bump and, and, Listen, there's going to be a team at the end of the season that exceeds their expectations largely due to having a, yep. a very high PDO. And they're going, to, they're going to be a team that probably started off hot and everyone wrote articles about how they're not going to continue it. And they, for whatever reason, keep it up. Now, they might not do it again next year, but it doesn't matter in this, in this case. So it'll be curious to see which of those teams uh, kind of checks those boxes. Let's, let's talk about the Oilers then. I mentioned them with the star players and... Um, they're off to an 8-3-1 start. Even after getting trounced at home by the Panthers on Sunday, they still are sitting atop the Pacific. Um, I'm torn on this one because on the one hand, <laughs> I don't want to bet against McDavid and Dreisaitl because they are uh, ridiculous. And if they're awesome. going to legitimately yeah. keep playing like almost half of the game, like if they're playing 24, 25 minutes a night and they can keep that up, um, they're going to be good. Like they're... They're, those two guys are going to drag them to a certain number of wins. Now, how far that'll take them, whether they can keep getting top 10 save percentage from Miko Koskinen and, and Mike Smith, whether they can keep shooting uh, top 10 shooting percentage across the board with the rest of the team they have. That seems kind of, I'm dubious about that, but I don't know, like, let, let, let's unpack this from a couple different perspectives. We can do it from the team, and then we can also do it from the perspective of Dreisaitl and McDavid playing the minutes they are. Like, how sustainable do you think each of those two things are? Um, so we'll start with the easier one to me. Like how sustainable is it for McDavid and Drysaddle to play 23 or 24 minutes a night? I think pretty sustainable. 
I mean, I, I think, I don't know if it's wise to win or lo- wise long-term, but I think are those guys physically capable of playing that much and still being effective for 80 games? I think they are. They both are incredible skaters. And I think Drysdale, his skating gets lost because he's beside McDavid and everyone gets lost beside McDavid. But you see him in the three-on-three in overtimes where he's taken off on the rush and, you know, he, he gets where he needs to go in a real hurry. So uh, neither one is particularly physical in how they play the game without the puck. So that also alleviates some of the wear and tear on how much you can play. And neither one is probably exerting as much energy away from the puck playing defense as they could. I'm not saying they're saving their energy for when they get it back, but they're managing their energy for when they get it back. And all those things leave me like, yeah, you can play them 23, 24 minutes for sure. I don't think that's an issue. Uh, I probably don't think it's wise, but I also get why you do that. I mean, when there's so much better than whatever else you have to put out there, and this is my concern with Edmonton. First off, you know, I've read some of the technical changes that Koskinen might have made in his game to, to kind of shore up how he plays. I've read that, you know, he got tired having to play a lot last year, so maybe having Smith around, who's played well to start, and them sharing the load helps him be good for the entire season. Top 10, I would not have bet on that before the season, but maybe some of these changes will will result in that. Maybe. The bigger issue to me still will be who is going to score. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know James Neal has 10, 7 on the power play, but hey, power play goals count. But he has, you know, 5-on-5, five five, if you're going to have McDavid and settle out there a lot together, and it seems like Dave Tibbet is willing to do that quite a bit, you know, who is going to score? You know, Cassian, Neil, Chiesa, Jujar, Kara, Yurcho. I mean, like, who, who are we talking about here? And, and as great and as sustainable as I think those two guys are, and I think it absolutely is conceivable that Drysdale and McDavid both end up with 110-plus points. Yep. And I'm still not sure if that will be enough. They, I still think they need something more than they've gotten so far below them. So... I don't think the way they're playing right now and the recipe they're using right now is going to work for 80 games. They need more scoring. They need more support. Uh, maybe, you know, Adam Larson being out and having other guys play. Like, you know, the factors involved there, but depth scoring, we talked about it all all summer. I think Kenny Holland knows that it's an issue. I don't know if it's been answered. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible to uh, sort of overstate just how uh, reliant they've been on those two guys and how bad the secondary scoring's been. Like, if we lump up Neil into not even secondary scoring because he's like their third most, I guess, dangerous or relied upon scorer behind Joyce Seidel and McDavid. Uh, beyond that, there's just nothing really there of substance. I mean, you look at just the five on five numbers, line one with McDavid and Joyce Seidel, they're outscoring teams 14 to 6. Line two with Neil and, and Nugent Hopkins, 5-4. So, okay, at least they're kind of keeping their head above water. In 205 mm-hmm. minutes without those four guys on the ice, so that's basically bottom six minutes, they've been outscored 10-1. to one. So they've generated one goal from their bottom six at 5-on-5 five five this season. Go. And the scary thing is, like, you know, they're going to get a couple bounces here or there. I don't think they're going to keep scoring one goal in every 11 games they play. But I don't see that any reason to suggest that, oh, this is a group that's been unlucky. This is a group that's actually doing a lot of things right. It's like, I think this is probably going to continue moving forward. And so that's why I kind of like, you know, we're in this load management era, especially in basketball, where guys are taking nights off, where guys are, uh, where teams are making a point of yeah. protecting their assets and not wearing them down and sort of managing their minutes so they can optimize their performance. And I totally get that. So 
I, on, that's like kind of part of my brain is thinking about that. And then the other part is like, I sort of respect the idea of like going down, swinging with your best players and trying to squeeze everything out of them. And so, <laughs> and, but at the same time, you do want to protect them because they are your future assets and you need these guys for the next six, seven, eight years to come. So it's, it's, I don't know what the right answer is here. I guess the, the fact that they're off to a great start might kind of empower them or embolden them and, and might give them sort of more reason to believe that they should keep going down this path. But I think eventually, um, even if McDavid and Dreisaitl are as good as they are and they can keep playing 22, 23, 24 minutes a night, like the efficiency there is, is going to drop off a little bit just because they're kind of wading into these uncharted waters that we really never see forwards do. Like, when's the last time a forward even played 24 minutes a night as we've seen? I think the last time was like Pavel Bure in the 90s as far as I know. So Pavel it's, Bure? It's, yeah. Yeah, and he never got back to his own end. Although I think Marty San Luis a couple of years under torts was pretty close. Um, in Tampa, where Torres just played the heck out of him, and, and he got into the 23s, I think, um, as a guy who kind of did a bit of everything. But that, that's just it. Now, I mean, I guess they could go look for options. They don't have much cap space. I don't know. No easy solutions to be had there. But, yeah, you just look at what they do when McDavid and Dreisler are out there together and what they do when they're not. And, and yeah, something else. Somebody else has to find a way to score some goals. Um, in the run of play, when those two aren't on the ice, uh, to, for them to for them to make it. I know the, the Pacific's interesting because I don't think the Pacific is as good as maybe maybe thought it might be. I, you know, I think LA certainly we knew would struggle. San Jose, I am leery of them. I think everyone assumed that they would be a lock. Um, you know, so Edmonton maybe there is opportunity there to kind of battle in with Arizona and Calgary and and, and Vancouver because I, I think an unlikely team. We'll make the playoffs in the Pacific. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDOcast is SeatGeek. If you feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose, you're not alone. I've found in the past that it's a really stressful process and honestly can sometimes be a barrier to actually uh, getting yourself out of the house and going to the event because you don't want to deal with all of it, whether it's uh, you know going on a bunch of different websites and trying to find the best deal or wondering whether you're getting ripped off or whether you're going to get a ticket and pay a bunch of money for it and then show up at the event and find out it's not even what you paid for. Uh, there's a lot of stressors there and, and I totally get uh, why people would be kind of put off by the whole process, but that doesn't need to be the case anymore because SeatGeek has really changed the game and revolutionized uh, the whole process by making it as easy for you as possible and saving you time, money, and effort. Um, they built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and just start enjoying it. Uh, here's what they do. They scour the web for you. They pull all the tickets that are available for any given event into one place. They rate each of those tickets that are available uh, as a deal on a scale of one to 10. And then they finally display them on an interactive seat map. So you can see for yourself for all those visual learners out there, uh, what the details are. So the green dots mean a good deal. And those are the ones you should be targeting. And the red dots are overpriced ones you should stay away from. And every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. I've used it time and time again for all sorts of stuff. I mean, beyond just hockey. And I imagine a lot of you listening, that'll probably be your main interest and, and your main resource. But, uh, whether it's a basketball game, whether it's a football game, I've gone to concerts, uh, you know, stand up specials. There's so much uh, stuff out there that you, could, you should be enjoying, and SeatGeek's got the tickets for all of it. So, even if you don't necessarily have a specific event in mind, um, 
you know, sometimes I just pull it up and see what's going on on any given night and kind of, uh, you know, spur the moment, go for it because SeatGeek makes it that easy to get those tickets. Plus, um, if that's not enough for whatever reason, and I can't imagine it will be, but let's say you're one of the late adopters here and you're still struggling and you're like, okay, why should I give SeatGeek a shot above any other uh, ticketing service? Well, SeatGeek's going to give you $10 off your first purchase with them just for listening to today's episode of the PDOcast. All you need to do is use our promo code and let them know we sent you. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Okay, well, let's 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 talk about, um, you know, you mentioned the Sharks there. I think I'd lump the Stars in here as well. We've kind of been talking about teams that started off hot and we're wondering whether they continue or not. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about some of these teams that have started off really cold and they came into the season with sky-high expectations. And, you know, the Sharks are uh, as good of a place as any to start here because... Clearly being four, seven and one, you know, they just lost to Ottawa and didn't look particularly good doing so. I, I think a lot of the same concerns mm-hmm. that were there last year are still there. Uh, the goaltending exactly. is still sub 900 and they haven't anything to address that. And I get that their hands are kind of tied with Martin Jones's contract and sort of how committed they are to him. But, uh, and, and I also do. I get that it's not entirely on their plate because the defense around in front of them is very suspect and kind of leaves them leaves them hanging on many occasions. But the issue with this team now is you subtract all the depth they had because of the cap concerns this summer, and you lose Pavelski even though he's struggling in Dallas. You lose Don Score, you lose Nyquist, and the offense hasn't been there either. And that's the biggest concern to me where last year they could afford to play these five, four games because I felt good that they would be scoring five goals a night. Now they're 24th in offense. I think at five on five, they're not really generating anything. You know, the power play, they're still lethal, but it's not the formula isn't kind of adding up to me here where I don't feel as good about them having enough depth and enough scoring punch to compensate for those mistakes defensively. And so I, I am a little, a little bit alarmed and I've seen people online go, Oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have been that high on them coming into the season because they did lose all those players. But you look at the Pacific and you look at how many talented players they still have with Carlson and Burns and Hurdle and Meyer and Kane and so on and so forth. Like, I do think the expectations were still there Mm -hmm. for this team. It's just, I'm legitimately beginning to wonder whether they are going to able be able to achieve them. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you touched on, and God, I've done so many San Jose Sharks games, and I like Martin Jones, but I mean, I think you could say he might have been the worst starting goalie in the league last year who played, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. And between him and Dell, poor results in the regular season, poor results in the playoffs last year. They're getting the same kind of results. So, I mean, after, you know, a couple years of this, is it really fair to say he's the guy he was three years ago or is he the guy he was the last couple of years? And if he's the guy he was the last couple of years, that's trouble because it speaks to how good they were last year that they made the playoffs, had as many points as they did, despite getting that kind of goaltending. They get the same kind of goaltending this year. It's not happening. He makes some really good points. You forget how good Pavelski was, but Nyquist late, even Donskoy was an efficient player. And I think Joel Thornton had a really solid year last year. At some point, age catches up to everyone. Joe's not gotten off to a great start this year. And the dynamic's a little bit different where, you know, Kane, Hurdle, Meyer, Couture, all excellent. Even LeBanc's a very good little player. But if they're, you know, they can't outscore their trouble. So the, the, what you would hope would be they wouldn't have so many troubles, though. They got $27 million invested in... Carlson, Burns, and Vlasic, if those are your three defensemen, you have to think we got to be a, a team that can really control the game from the back end, and they're not. Like, Eric Carlson's game in Ottawa, uh, yeah, this past weekend, was as 
poor defensive effort as I've seen from a defender in a long time. And we've seen that kind of stuff happen for San Jose. So they can't outscore their troubles. They can't defend well enough to protect their goalies. And their goalies can't bail out mistakes made in front of them. I mean, you put all that together and, and, and you're getting yourself into to dangerous territory. And, and I think that's where San Jose is right now. They have good players. And I'm, like, I've been the staunchest Eric Carlson supporter mm-hmm. going. But right now, it looks like a bad mix. And, and I'm not exactly sure how they turn it around um, without changing how they're playing. Yeah, I mean, they were the first, they were the best puck possession team in the league last year, so they could afford to have sub-900 goaltending when they just had the sheer quantity of looks that they were getting on the other end of the the ice. volume's going there, yeah. And now they're 19th. Uh, They're relying on a lot of guys who are either on the wrong side of 30 or are still young players but have put so many miles on their body over the past couple of years because of how much how much hockey this team's been playing and how much they've been relying on their top guys. And so I do worry about the depth. I do worry about um, sort of how that's going to go as the year goes along. And, and you know, you look at their at their cap-friendly page and they've really committed themselves to this team. Like, there's a lot of money tied up in Burns, Vlasic, Carlson, Couture, uh, Martin Jones, guys who are in that dangerous area where the games should conceivably start to drop off a little bit. And so that's alarming to me. It's another case where I still think the Pacific is weak enough and they have enough raw talent that they're going to make a run here eventually. But I, uh, I think we do need to lower expectations and sort of lower the, the ceiling for this team, because I did think if they got healthy and they Mm -hmm. put it all together, they would be right there with Vegas, for example, as like the two scariest teams out West. And now it feels like they're dropping into that sort of middle of the pack where they could outscore teams on any given night, but I don't think it's the consistency is going to be there where they are going to be there with a Vegas, for example. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. But to go on a run like that feels like you need good goaltending. Yeah. It's a great goaltending. You need like 950 goaltending for 10 games. And I know they can sh- pop up there for a game or two, but I don't even know if like a 10-game run like that for Jones is, is is in the cards right now. It would be less likely than than not. So, yeah, I I I, I am I would be worried if I'm a Sharks fan. I, I don't know how this one all plays out. And, and this team is going to have to be good this year because because if you mentioned the age the contracts like it's not going to end well for this group I mean, they're not going to age out gracefully into into like their late 30s and towards 40 and, and continue to be competitive with this much money tied up so they got to be good now because the three defensemen i mentioned even you know Vander kane's 28 uh couture's 30 and jones who has still amazingly enough four more years <laughs> after this one um, you know, three years from now, they're not going to be better off than they are today. Yeah, no, that's true. Although I will say, I'm more worried about Dallas. I, uh, I have you have you had a chance to watch uh, a couple of Stars games so far this season? Yeah, yeah. I called a Dallas game last week against Ottawa, and they looked amazing. Surprisingly oh, enough, wow. because against Ottawa, a lot of shots were 48 to 22, and um, should have been seven to two. It was three to two. Um, but, um, yeah, their start is a bit concerning because they got by last year on being a really stingy team, right? Mm-hmm. Their chances they gave up, their high danger chances, um, expected goals against were super low, as were their actual goals against because Ben Bishop and Hudobin were, were so good together. Um, that hasn't been the case this year where, um, you know, the defense hasn't been there. 
like the, the defending. So that, 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 and the goalie have taken a slip. But if they don't get great goaltending in that system, then I'm not sure if they have enough goals in it to, to be successful. Yeah, that's that's the alarming part to me. I mean, last year they they got uh, 935 at 5 on 5 and 923 overall in save percentage. And I like Ben Bishop. I like Anton Hudobin. But other than maybe like a Barry Trotz, Mitch Korn combo and, and Boston, uh, there's very few goalie situations where I expect that continued a year over year. And I thought they'd be better offensively to kind of compensate for that. But I think they're playing, I think only the Devils are currently playing a slower pace than they are, and we know that Montgomery prefers this kind of more methodical defensive approach, and it worked so well for them last mm-hmm. year that I understand why they would try to replicate that. But you look at the talent here, and that's the thing that bugs me the most. You have Tyler Sagan, you have Jamie Benn, who's clearly not what he used to be, but can still play that North-South game. You have Radulov, you have Klingberg and Heiskanen, like the two most dynamic defensive players in the league. You have Rupe Hintz stepping up and living up to this preseason hype. You have guys who would thrive in a more open, fast-paced system. And this team is instead kind of trying to jam this square peg into a round hole by playing slow it down, grind it out hockey. And that's what's concerning to me. I mean, they're pretty much bottom three to five in like every offensive category, both expected and yeah. actual. The shots aren't, aren't there. The shot generation isn't there. I think the, the Senators game is really the only game they look good in. And that was basically like a scrimmage. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's, 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 it's alarming to me. I, I the goalies could get hot here. Um, you know, Sagan is eventually going to start scoring goals. I don't. I'm not expecting Rupe Hints to have the same number of goals as Sagan, Ben Pavelski, and Radulov combined. Like those guys will eventually get it going a little bit. But unless this team undergoes mm-hmm. a very big philosophical change, which is easier said than done in in, in they're hockey, they're not going to though. Um, yeah. So uh, why are we expecting it to change then beyond just? They did it last year. Like I, I, I think that's kind of flawed logic because we know how volatile goaltending performance is from year to year. You said it because they did it last year. I think yeah. that's you know it seemed like a recipe that worked. And Ben Bishop and Hudobin had great years. And um, you know if you, you you support them the same way. Plus, then you add Pavelski, who's still a very good player, and Corey Perry, who's got something to prove, and maybe he's healthy. And all of a sudden, you have a little bit more depth and. Stride hints and then Heiskanen and all the rest of it, it seems like it would be a good idea to play the same way, but I don't think it's going to. And because they had so much success, it's going to take longer for them to get away from a game plan that might not be working because they'll cling to the fact that it worked last year and worked very well last year. And so that will be a tough change to make on the fly because Montgomery, even though he came from college and, talk about wanting to play up-tempo. That's not been what we've seen out of his team at all in the NHL. So, um, same kind of thing, though. If they, if they get the goaltending, and and maybe I maybe I trust Bishop and Hudobin more than I trust some of the other combinations around the league, and I think Ben Bishop's a pretty good goalie. Um, with that kind of talent, they have a front, even playing this very methodical plotting system of just defending and, you know, low event, everything, um, you know, they'll just have enough game breakers to, to figure it out. I haven't loved what I've seen so far, but I guess I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want to reserve judgment because I see the names of the, you know, Tyler Sagan's a good player and, and, you know, Jay Ben, well, as you mentioned, not probably what he once was still good. And Radulov still should be good, even though they're all getting up there to the wrong age of 30. Um, yeah, that would be fascinating to watch because it may take a, a philosophical, a, a technical change in approach, mm-hmm. more so than just letting your guys work through slumps or low shooting percentages. Like it might take a change in how you actually play to maximize what that roster is right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, the results are one thing, but I think the process in terms of how you're getting there is, is what concerns me a bit more. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we get out of here, one, one more team. I'll let you pick Leafs, Lightning, Avs, or Panthers. Which of those teams do you want to hit on? Leafs, Lightning, Avs, or Panthers. Okay. Well, I mean, let's take uh, the, the favorite talking point, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm. And, um, <laughs> And what is going on with that group? And they're fascinating because they're so heavily dissected by everybody. And because there's a lot of people in Toronto whose job it is to try to make sense of, of what's going on with the Leafs. Um, and I mean, I think you can chalk up a, a large portion of it to less than great goaltending. I mean, Freddie Anderson has been pretty good the last couple of years. Um, and a bad backup goalie. I mean, I think that, that's, that's a reality. I don't think that's changing. I, I don't think. They can count on Michael Hutchinson to kind of deliver, um, you know, league average numbers even. But Freddie Anderson just hasn't been particularly good um, yet. So I think that's that's an issue. And then the other one, and this is where I'm interested, like Mike Babcock is, is, is largely regarded as one of the best coaches in the world. And I know they want to play an up-tempo system. And I know they have players that are – designed to play that way. That's how, they're, that's how they're wired. But defensively, they still give up an awful lot. And one of the fascinating conversations, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is that, you know, a lot of people think Morgan Riley is a good defensive player. He's incredible offensively. Let's not mm-hmm. let's get that out of the way. But the, the more I watch and the, the numbers I look, and I'm not going to blame it just on Cody Ceci, that's his partner, who's, you know, not had great kind of underlying numbers for a while. I'm not so sure how good Morgan Riley is away from the puck in his own end. Like, I think he's he's average. Um, so I, that I don't think is changing. And I wonder what Mike Babcock does to change the, the way that that team plays defense because they're giving up a lot of chances um, at five on five and their goaltender's not bailing them out right now. Yeah, no, I think those concerns are fair. Um, you know, Riley still at the end of the day, I mean, this year has been uh, a, t- a struggle for him, but generally speaking with a guy like him, it's like he creates so much on the other end of the ice with the puck that you'll yeah. take the negatives. Um, that hasn't been the case so far this year. I, what I see from those guys is, you know, with both CC and Riley, it's like two guys who um, don't have whatever the hockey IQ is or, or, or the uh, awareness of like where the puck is going when they're defending in a defensive zone. So, so it leads to this like comedy of errors where they're just constantly chasing the puck and they're out of position or they're like one step behind. And I think in Riley's case, he'd benefit a lot more from having a defensive partner who was much more sort of reliable or consistent in that regard. Um, you know, your right. kind of quote unquote stay at home defense, but even if he's not necessarily uh, as talented a player as CC, just having someone there that you can rely on and, and allow Riley to freelance a little bit I think that would go a long way but they clearly need to do something here the goaltending thing it's it's crazy to me that they still in this time haven't found a reliable backup or maybe it just speaks to how good Freddie Anderson is that behind this same yeah. defense he makes it work and so maybe that's kind of uh maybe we should be looking at that instead but I think with Babcock's usage and some stuff there there's some there's some legitimate concerns and listen the light the Leafs are going to make the playoffs they're still a really good team they're going to score so many goals but when we're talking about the cream of the crop with the Lightning and the Bruins and, and some of the best teams in the league, these are the ultimate kind of differentiation mm-hmm. factors, right? You can't afford to have these question marks because you do need to nitpick when you're talking about the very best. You do. And the one thing that now he's not playing right now is John Tavares, but he was so good last year, him and Mitch Marner together, five on five specifically. 
and the amount of chances they generated and all his shots that he created from that kind of high danger area, inner slot area, whatever you want to call it. And they weren't getting that when he was healthy. And that will have to come back when he comes back. Uh, and maybe Martin's playing a bit better now, but uh, that was one number that kind of was pretty stark. He was amongst the league leaders in those shots in and around the net at five on five, and he just wasn't getting them in uh, the start of this season. So that's something to watch out for when he comes back because they'll have to get him back in there. And all the consternation about Austin Matthews, and I understand that you get paid a lot of money, you have to be really good. But if you take away the two Boston games, because I think we can just accept that Bergeron is better than him five on five. Like Mm -hmm. he defends better than Austin attacks. And he exposes Austin defensively because he attacks better than Austin defends. Austin's not alone in that regard. So is, I think, every single line in the league, save Nathan McKinnon's and maybe Sid's when he's on a game. Like, everyone loses that battle. If you look at Austin Matthews' numbers, still the shots, scoring chances, the gold, all that top five on five is still really strong. I think it's easy to jump on him when the team's not doing well and maybe, you know, he loses those couple games to Boston. I think he's just fine. I, I don't think if he just gets, you know, regular goals anyways on the ice, his, his five on five number is that much better. Him specifically, I still think he's playing um, the same way and, and we'll get the same kind of results once the goaltending shakes itself out. Yeah, of course. I, I haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise. You know, I, I was hoping you'd pick the Lightning. I, I should have known that you'd pick the Leafs when I gave you those options, but I'm kind of curious. Like, just well, as a they're for- all my former teams. I can pick anyone you want. Well, as a, as a former player, I'm very curious. <laughs> That's a good point. I, I'm really curious, like, not that you ever played on a team that won 62 games and was historically great as the Lightning, but, you know, when you have that kind of success and then you enter a new season, but you still have that kind of bitter taste in your mouth from the most recent defeats, like... Uh, I guess maybe we should have seen this kind of more like lethargic or slower pace start from them. Um, are you worried at all about it? Like they're, you know, just because of their standards, a five, three and two start with like a plus two goal differential is, is so below what they were playing at last year. But I mean, the names and the talent are still there and on the back of the Jersey. So I don't know how uh, worked up we should be about a, a sort of underwhelming 10 game sample from this team. Well, I don't know. I got the highest PDO in the league right now. So it's not like they're, you know, they got the goaltending to get them better than five, three, two. I guess where I'm concerned is not the lethargic start, but kind of a multi voices. I've heard referencing a disappointing end to last year. Of course, we've heard Stamkos talk about it. We've heard Cooper talk about it. You know, Stammer saying if we play the same way, we're going to get dusted again in the playoffs like last year. If it's me, I'm spending probably less time trying to adjust what happened last year. Like I want last year again if I'm Tampa. Right. I want to have the same team play the same way, and I'll take the chances that my goal, who's really, really good, won't have an off couple 10 days in the playoffs. Like, I'll give me that same team, the exact same makeup again next this spring and put me in the playoffs, and I'll take my chances over any kind of adjusted systems they may be trying to implement. Because so, I watched them play. I called them against the Montreal team, and Tampa was so good last year at just about everything. But, you know, generating chances off the rush – using the width of the ice, creating those kind of lateral plays across the slot, and, and not just the best lines, like all the lines. And they don't haven't, – I haven't seen the pace to their game throughout their roster throughout the entire game the same kind of way I did last year. And I'm not sure if that's because they're changing their systems or they're encouraging guys to be a little bit more cautious and guys are kind of thinking and hesitating out there. But they don't – what made them so scary is they would just they, – they would 
they would transition you to death and score off the rush and, and, and just dominate you that way. And they're not doing that. They're not playing fast enough to, to scare teams that way. So, yes, they're going to make the playoffs, and maybe this is all part of the adjustment. But I don't know if it's lethargy from the loss, but more almost like an identity crisis. Like, who do mm-hmm. we want to be and how can we win if we're that team? And I'm like, be the guys you were last year. Take that chance, bring that roster back, and I bet you don't get swept in the first round. I, in fact, I bet you win the first round, mm-hmm. unless maybe you play Boston, um, if you bring that same team back again next year. Yeah, I guess I'm doing that from a, a glass-half-full perspective, where I think that kind of question of them figuring out their identity it explains this and will eventually sort itself out. Like, I just think, especially John Cooper is probably approaching this season, especially at the start, as like, Let's see what we got and try to find the best combinations. And, and you're right. When you win 62 games, yep. you clearly had the best combinations. So maybe you should just stick with that. But we've already seen him play Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos more at 5-on-5 five five together than they did all of last season. And then all of a sudden, he switches that, it up so that each guy's on their own separate line. And I think he's kind of like tinkering with it and just throwing everything up against the wall and seeing what sticks. And eventually, they're going to really kind of uh, put it all together and find their best formula. But I, I'm still willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because Ultimately, the talent is just so great that I just don't see how this won't succeed unless there is something like internally flawed with this team. I'm with you. I agree with you. I just, I just almost like selfishly would hate for them to try to change too much yeah. from something that was obviously so good last year. Yeah. All right, MJ. Let's uh, let's get out of here. Where uh, where can people check you out these days? Uh, you can find me at TSN studio stuff, calling Ottawa Montreal games, NHL Network down south, XM Radio, uh, 10 to 11 Eastern time during the weekdays. Um, yeah. Before we get out of here, I wanted to touch on a couple quick little housekeeping notes. Uh, first off, thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, for whatever reason, we'd really appreciate if you go and leave the podcast a rating and review. Hopefully it'll be of the five star variety and you'll have only glowing things to say. And we always appreciate when, uh, people actually put in a little effort to, uh, make some sort of an inside joke about the podcast or have a little fun with it. Uh, and all that goes a long way, but honestly, even if you just want to quickly check off the five stars, uh, that's enough for us. It goes a long way towards, uh, helping spread the love helping keep the podcast um you know up atop the charts keeping the bosses happy keeping everything uh running smoothly so i would really appreciate if you do so and honestly it only takes a minute or two out of your time and it goes a long way towards helping us out the other thing is i'm not sure if you noticed but the pdo guest has been blessed with some new artwork and it's kind of weird getting away from the uh, the old comics and apologies to uh, to good buddy JF Barube for not being on it anymore. But we wanted something a little more uh, a little more subtle, a little more sleek, a little more uh, simple. And and I'd like to thank my buddy Keyshawn Mystery over at Yahoo for putting that together for us and whipping it up. And it looks great, and I'm excited about it. Um, so yeah. With that said, we're going to get out of here. We're going to listen to the outro music now, and we will be back hopefully later this week with uh, with another podcast. I've got some fun stuff planned for you guys. If uh, we don't usually do too many mailbag shows, because I find like there's so much material out there that we're eventually going to get to a lot of it, but I found time and time again that uh, you guys are, are pretty smart and pretty on top of it yourselves, and uh, you've got some really interesting stuff that uh you run by me so if you've got any questions or any sort of suggestions for future topics feel free to either tweet at myself or at the pdo guest account 
or uh, email either myself, Dimitri.Filipovich at gmail.com or uh, HockeyPediocast at gmail.com. And, and we're going to get to it. We're going to mix in uh, some mailbag shows here or there. But even if something kind of sticks out and it's related to a given topic for a show we've already got going, maybe we'll sprinkle it in there as well. So I look forward to hearing from you guys. And with all of that said, uh, that's it for today's show. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll be back soon. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.